0: Problems. It's human nature to hate problems. But why is that? After all, problems inspire us to mend things, bend things, make things better. That's why so many people work with IBM on everything. From city traffic to ocean plastic, new schools to new energy, flight delays to food safety. Smart loves problems. IBM.
1: Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com smart to learn more.
0: Hello and welcome to The Double Pivot, the world's most agreeable soccer analytics podcast I am Michael Cayley coming to the Howler Radio Network, and I am so excited about Granite Shaka Instagram drama. Did you see this? After the whole thing at the Emirates where he was like flipping off the crowd or whatever, he went into his Instagram early today, took off his profile picture, which was him in an Arsenal kit, and put in a new profile picture of him in a Swiss National Team kit. It's fantastic. He's mad at the fans. He's changing his Instagram profile. And that is all the the Arsenal content we have on this podcast. I am joined by Mike Goodman. Uh, Do you want to get in any Arsenal takes before we move on?
1: No, I just want to say that between this and the John Stones black eye, like the nation calls out for... To double pivot salacious gossip correspondent Joel Wertheimer to make a return appearance. So we're going to have to make that happen sooner rather than later. And, and, and yeah, we, we couldn't figure out like an angle on the on the Rebecca Vardy stuff because it
0: was just also perfectly like right there. And we were on planes. Yeah. No, I was really- going to talk to Joel about that. We were like, I, we don't have like a take. It's just beautiful and everyone everyone read about it like we don't need we don't need to like do a deep dive on it for people
1: yes anyway the music you heard on the way in is the whalers max is with us on the other side of the virtual glass please download subscribe subscribe to patreon.com slash double pivot where this week we will be talking about the bundesliga for all of our loyal subscribers um look i think i think on this podcast we're basically gonna spend the vast majority of the time talking about liverpool and spurs because it was a really interesting match um before we get it, like the only other thing that we maybe want to hit this week, so I guess we'll just start and do a little bit off the top was Chelsea Burnley was weird,
0: yeah. So like Chelsea ended up with I had them with one point one expected goals. I think that Satsbaum was was close to that too, right? I was I don't um, have
1: it in front of me, but I, I recall
0: it being roughly that. Yeah, yeah, because I mean it was you know Christian Pulisic scored a header. And one shot, one nicely struck shot
1: through traffic, and one, like, freak deflection through traffic. Yeah, it was a, it was a, I waited until late Saturday to, to, to tweet my opinion on the Pulisic hat trick so that nobody was paying attention anymore. But, like, it's the kind of thing that was largely out of his control, but good for him. Right, and, like, he, uh, you
0: know, he is averaging, like, two and a half shots and two and a half shot assists per 90.
1: For yeah, his Chelsea numbers have been played. really good.
0: Like his numbers have been really good. This, what basically what happened is that if you're getting that many shots and shot assists, sometimes you will luck into a game like this. Yes,
1: um, it is. I guess a little bit worth noting when talking about that that when you when you as an individual far exceed. In goals, what your expected goals are, it's worth thinking a little bit about how you did that. There is something different about striking a ball perfectly and getting a great deflection, those are not mm-hmm. the same thing. Um, mm, Art, you know the 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 goal that he scores where he kicks it through three defenders is a little bit different because you can argue he maybe did that on purpose and even if he didn't do it on purpose the ball was placed perfectly on net and then you you analyze the header however you want to analyze the header it's a great header but it's one that often doesn't come off um, but it is worth thinking about what that means in terms of in terms of how you are performing as an individual against your expected goals. Um, yeah, so StatsBomb had it. StatsBomb
0: actually had it more tilted to Burnley than my numbers did. I had it 1.1 to 1.8. StatsBomb's
1: 0.9 to 2.2. I, so I I think at least from the the Chelsea perspective, StatsBomb's really gonna pick up pick up that that Pulisic. I think it's the first goal right where he kicks it through three defenders, um, yep. as being not a very good chance because it's gonna have him smothered um exactly because like was what, what happened there
0: was that that like that's actually a good break like the move picks up a little bit of extra xg in my system because it's such a nice break and then burnley all the bodies were that this was the thing about this game though like the main thing about this game for burnley is that burnley were burnleying all of these shots yes there were bodies back it's just that instead the ball missed those bodies or took very fortuitive glances I was going to say,
1: that. yeah, in one notable event, it did not miss the body at all. It deflected perfectly off the body and into the net. Um, and, you know, this is one of those where it's, you know people will would, would like to say that, well, yes, the XG is weird, but the Chelsea went up 4-0 before, before the hour mark, so of course it's weird. But that's not actually how the game went. Um yep. You know, Burnley had two very, very good chances in the first half where they only took four shots. Like, very good chances. You know, despite getting outshot 8 4, they probably on balance had the better collective chances of the first half than Chelsea. And that's a one goal match at 21. And they don't, you know, Chelsea don't score their second until right before halftime. So the stretch of this match where the score line is roughly equal there. Burnley, by the numbers, are the better side. And I think when you look at the Pulisic goals, it's not unreasonable to suggest
0: that. Yeah, I mean, like, Ashley Barnes just missed jumps on... They, they, they like, Burnley's chances mostly came from set plays, which is typical. And they got Ashley Barnes free twice. And the second time, especially, like, there's open goal... And he mistimes his jump. Yep. You know, like, it, 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 it's, you know, I, people are, the, the first chance is a little bit weird because his body position is he's jumping backwards, even though he's really close to goal. But, like, it's not, it's still a good scoring chance. And they, and then, but, the the but, like, the fact that they're on set plays, like, of course they're on
1: set plays. That's how Burnley works. And, and look, let's be clear, set plays have been a problem for Chelsea this season, all season long. Mm-hmm. Um. And the fact that those lined up perfectly and then created the the sort of good chances for Burnley that we'd expect, and then they just didn't go in the net. Like I think here's it's a pretty clear story that the stats are telling that is correct that Burnley really let Chelsea off the hook, and Chelsea with the merest slimmer of daylight then slammed you know shoved the door open and slammed it in the other direction. Um, And then once you're up 2-0, the second half is a little bit different and things change a little bit. Um, But, I don't know, like, we were sort of wondering about, hey, Burnley seemed pretty good this year before. And despite going down 4-0, I look at this match and think, yeah, Burnley are maybe kind of good and... We think Chelsea are good, but this does not resolve any sort of of the lingering doubts that you might have about them, despite the scoreline.
0: Right, like th- this this was Chelsea Chelsea not having their not having a one of their better performances, despite winning four to two, and Burnley continuing to play like above average Premier League football with like good attacking play, which I really don't know what to do with.
1: Yeah, all right. Enough about the opening act.
0: Which it does set up because one of the reasons that Liverpool Spurs is particularly interesting is that the
1: XG is a weird thing. All right. So why don't, why don't we do this? Why don't you set the top line numbers as where this match ended? Um, and then we'll go into it.
0: Yeah. So the match ends with Liverpool winning two to one. Um, and, but the expected goals, uh, if you remove the penalty, uh, which we can get into. Um, the penalty was not scored on, like, a clear scoring chance. Let's say that. Um, if you remove the penalty, uh, Stats Bomb has it about 1.5 to 1.3. And I had it about uh, 1.5 to 1.3 for for Liverpool. And I had it about 1.8 to 1.6 for Liverpool. So, like, pretty
1: close to dead even on the XG in both systems. Right. Okay, so now, so now let's talk about what happened in the match. Because what happened in the match is that at kickoff, Spurs create quickly a very mediocre chance for Sun. Outside the box, well covered, that takes a deflection, smacks off the crossbar, and falls to Harry Kane right in front with an opium net, and he scores. And yep. two minutes in, it's now 1-0. And then for the next hour... Or so, um, Spurs have no interest in having the ball. Now, for about a half hour there, Liverpool didn't do very much with having all of the ball. Um, Mm -hmm. They, in the way that Liverpool has been grindy this year, they continued to be grindy, use the fullback, switch the ball, try to get crosses to the three attackers narrow in the box. And Spurs, for about 25 minutes or half an hour, handled that noise fairly well. And whether you want to credit Spurs or blame Liverpool for that, it's sort of up in the air. And then the pressure amps up. Liverpool all of a sudden start getting chances, and we can argue about how good those chances actually are, but a number of them end up dangerously on net. Um, right. Right. And so now we have a period of time where where is, is basically standing on his heading goal to keep you know to preserve the lead, um, and eventually he cannot, right? I think that's that that is a fair description of how we get to one one.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I, th- I think I it is it is worth noting in this context that the way we get to one one specifically is Jordan Henderson making a late run into the penalty area. And um, D- Danny Rose is trying to clear a ball that is coming in to uh, Salah, and but his his little chested clearance gets drops it down for Henderson, who then has to strike through a couple of players to get it in. But like the fact that Henderson is in the penalty area is very telling of what this game has become. Yeah,
1: that's right. I, because it is. There's also interesting sort of noting for Liverpool. This is the second week in a row where they where they end a long period of scuffling to score with a fourth player getting forward into the box. Against United, when they ultimately drew, it was because Lallana, who had come on, makes that run from midfield. Um, But what, what we're seeing there is a way in which Liverpool ratchet up pressure while still primarily not moving the ball up the field through midfield.
0: Right, and 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 w- Wijnaldum was also g- making a good number of touches around the top of the penalty area. Um, yes,
1: I mean at this at and, this point, by the point the goal is scored shortly after the half, Liverpool have been camped out, just absolutely camped out in Spurs' final third for a long time. Yeah, and and
0: it's worth noting, like the 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 attack that 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 leads to the goal, the way it gets set up is that Spurs win the ball, um, sort of. In toward the edge of their own final third, Musa Sissoko beats four guys, yeah, <laughs> and then plays the past to son, and like this was the only time that Spurs got out because the way that Spurs set up in this game, so we, we sort of the, the the lineup comes out and Ndambelé is not in in midfield. It is it is a back four with with uh, with with Jan and and, and Verelda and with Orie and Rose on uh, on the flanks, and then a midfield two of Winks and Sissoko, with um and what what it turned out to be was not a midfield two of Winks and Sissoko but a midfield three. Harry uh, Ali was really truly playing in central midfield. Incidentally, and Erickson, it was
1: it was it was Sanchez not Vertonghen who started. Right, for, Sanchez not Vertonghen for whatever yes. reason. Um. But yes, no, and De- De- and De- De- like, well,
0: well, which is which is part of this because what Spurs had with with Delhi in midfield and Delhi had to stay very
1: deep because they were like getting the crap press out of them the whole game. But you, well, you, I want to 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 stick a pin in that point for a second because yeah. Delhi had to stay very deep is I think a contentious point that I don't necessarily agree with. Delhi certainly stayed very deep. It is unquestionably true that he was supposed to be staying very deep, mm-hmm. but I think the causality here and and we haven't talked about the stretch of the game after two one, but I think the yep. causality here is a little bit interesting and and specifically around delhi so let's let's stick a pin in that and remember to come back to it.
0: yeah so so Spurs are. The fact that they were able to get out once, they got out once because Musasoko did an amazing thing. Otherwise, Sissoko and Winks can't pass out of this press. Aurier and Rose are not good passers under pressure. Sanchez is not a great passer. The one thing that they could do was try to launch it from Aldevereld or from um or from Gazaniga. Gazaniga.
1: Aurier and that that, played... that created Spurs other great chance early early exactly. in the second half. Where it's just a straight long ball from Gazaniga over the top to Sun, who controls it and is one on one and does not score, rattles so the rattles a little and then again.
0: slice it, up, slice it off the
1: uh, uh, oh. off the bar. It's an it's an interesting chance because he rounds he rounds Allison, gives himself a tight angle with uh with a defender covering, and seems to me to recognize that and really tries to put it hard and upper 90 in the corner and yep. not give the defender on the line a chance to make a play on it. Is it the right decision in the moment? I don't know. But the, I mean, that the, the dynamic of that was fairly interesting to me. But it's a really great chance. A great yep. chance. And in, almost immediately after that, Liverpool come down and score. Yeah, It's easily the best scoring chance of the game. Well, yes. I mean,
0: and yeah, Kane has got an f- open header but it's like off off a rebound like this is right. easily right. the best scoring chance created from like regular soccer play in the game.
1: Yep. Um so then we have the the penalty. Look, I I it's it, it is to be clearly a penalty. Um Yep. Serge RA Serge turns and swings at the ball and takes out Mane's leg. But I think it is a- he, he's just made a good defensive play. Yes. Mane was
0: in a dangerous position. Aurier stops him. Aurier is like clearly sort of like for a second relaxes and goes to clear the ball away. And Mane gets in his way.
1: Yeah, I, th- I mean, look, I think it's a brilliant play by Mane because I don't think Mane can get to the ball first. But what Mane nope. can do is get his leg in between Serge Aurier's swinging foot and the ball <laughs> and get himself kicked. And and you see this dynamic a million times where the attacking player runs up the back of the defender, clips the defender's leg on the backswing, and gets called for a foul. And Mane's ability to get his body around that leg. He's never going to get to the ball, but he doesn't have to. He's just got to get himself in the way. And Aurier, you can argue... Like, Aurier is oblivious to Mane's presence and and the possibility of Mane doing this. And we can blame Aurier for being somewhat out of control and not able to check his body once the leg gets in the way. But I really think that it's just such a rare occurrence that a player will do that. Do what Mane did. It's like a reverse leg dangle, right? Like, usually an attacker will dangle the leg to find the plant leg of a defender... And pick a foul. Here, Mane is planting his plant leg in in front of a swinging leg to get kicked, and it's just like it's a brilliant. I mean, it's a brilliant play by Mane to draw that foul, right? And, and, and a brilliant, brilliant, and highly athletic. Oh like, my god! You don't yes. think that he can get to that space. I mean, look, Mane, Mane is as players as African players often are. Not given nearly the respect he should be for being an incredibly smart player, um, yep. in, in a lot of different ways. Um, anyway, so that we have the penalty, yep. Yep. and it two one. The dynamic of the game changes again. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, Spurs are able to get upfield, and when you have these moments, like disentangling cause and effect can be difficult. But the thing that was super-duper notable to me is that Dele Alli all of a sudden was contributing in the attacking half of the field and getting up the field with Son, with Kane, with Eriksen. What does that mean? I I mean, does does it mean that Liverpool were letting them... Liverpool were that much more defensive now with the lead? So Alli could do that? Does it mean that Ali didn't particularly care anymore or tactically was told not to care anymore about stringent defensive responsibilities and was thus freed up? Is it possible? I mean, another thing that happens at this moment, of we should note, is that Ndombele comes in for Winks, giving a much more robust presence behind Ali as well. So maybe if he's getting up the field and Winks is behind him, Spurs are just all that much more vulnerable. But it's not immediately clear to me that that shouldn't have been what they were doing, given just how pinned back they were by Liverpool for this sort of chunk from twenty five ish minutes to fifty five ish minutes.
0: Yeah, so I, I think that like the um what what the the thing that was killing Tottenham in this period uh, uh, from like you know twenty five to to, to to sixty or so. Is that they are just unable to ever complete a pass of any sort? Yes Harry Winks completed 17 passes. Mrs.
1: Soko completed 21 passes. Like, my no favorite stat ed- was that at, my favorite stat was that at halftime, the player who completed the least passes for Liverpool was Mosala with 11, and the player who had completed the most passes for Tottenham was Harry Winks with 10.: Exactly. And
0: like the and, and as I was going through like the, the problem here is that you've really only got one good passer in your in, in your back line in Aldeferald. and Winks is capable of passing sideways, but he's not going to be a press. And Sissoko obviously just doesn't show for the ball under pressure because he's so bad at passing. And so I think that the concept was they needed Ali Delhi back there to get on the ball and distribute Delhi. Um, Delhi, you know, with twenty-one passes completed, was uh, among the team's leaders, and he was one of the only guys who was like making who, who was ma- making you know, able to make p- passes forward from that that section. So that, that's what he's trying to do. The problem is it's not working. Right. And like having Delhi back Delhi is not like a good press breaker. He's just better than Winks and Sissoko. Yeah, he's and really so, not
1: like his I mean he's he's really not. He's much too risky with the ball in his own third when he is tasked with being somebody to key the breakout. And and sometimes it comes up, but Liverpool's press is very good and Ali just yeah he, that's not what he's good at. Right, I mean, it was—it's a long ball strategy,
0: but they were—they—they they, they right. couldn't get string passes together. But the thing is, like, almost none of those guys can hit long balls well. Also true. And Delhi can. I mean, I think that's what's going on. I think, that, I think that what you're pointing out. So, so, I think that the logic here is we don't have anyone in midfield. We need someone who can make who's a better passer in midfield, and we need another body back. The problem is that if with a strategy that you're running is you were trying to hit long balls to the front line. Like, it is a huge waste to have Deli, who is absolutely fantastic at making those runs and timing them and, and and figure out when to run from midfield to the forward line to get on the end of a long ball, which we saw later on in the game. It's a huge waste to have him not doing that, because Christian Eriks, who's playing on the wing, doesn't know how to do that. And... And so you're basically just running Sun off Kane for 50 minutes and hoping it comes off. It comes off once on, on, on one long ball, but like they were completely pinned in because all they could do was send balls out and they didn't have enough players to go get them. Like the question is could you have gotten Delhi to play a reasonably defensive role in midfield and also attack as a forward, which is like what young
1: Delhi would do? Right. But, I mean, the sense I got was that he was constrained. Um, Yes. That he was, even when it was not him playing balls forward, he was not getting forward. Um, No. We should talk about Liverpool's attack some here as well. And Mm -hmm. what we make of it. Um, Clearly there was... um, there were some things they did quite well, right? Um, Nate Robertson. Nate Robertson. Robertson just owned um, Christian Erickson on the on the left flank all game long, and it like it, it was interesting because it seemed really clear to me that while on one side Son was not tasked with tracing with with, with chasing um, Alexander Arnold back as he should not have been. And, you know, it was either Rose, it was oftentimes Rose, but it was sometimes Deli stepping out or whoever to deal with, with Alexander Arnold as he came forward. Erickson was quite clearly tasked with tracking Robertson all the way back down the flank. And he sort of, like, gamely positionally was roughly in the vicinity of Robertson for most of the match, <laughs> but was not was just not good enough at either... Containing passes to him, it just Alexander Arnold was was just sort of dropping ball reversals on a dime over his head all, all match long, or staying in front of Robertson when Robertson did have the ball. I mean, Erickson just got torched over and over and over again. Um, yep. So, you know, the strategy for Liverpool is what it is, where they where they pinch the three forwards quite narrow, depend on Robertson really to. Do a mini Jordi Alba-ish thing and get very deep and forward on one side, and rely on Alexander Arnold's unbelievably great right foot on the other, right? So you be like, it's it, it, it's worth noting, right? They have cutbacks coming from the left and crosses coming from the right, and that's how they roll. Um, yeah, and not and, and not just crosses,
0: but also switches. So just just yes. some stats on this. I, 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 Robertson was the primary outlet for Liverpool. He received eight progressive passes. Um, more than Sala or Mane. Whereas Alexander Arnold received only two progressive passes, so he's not the guy that they're trying to hit. Um, he's not the guy they're trying to hit with the long balls, but he played 11 crosses, and he played 18 passes of 25 yards or longer, and completed 14 of them.
1: It's unbelievable. Which is insane. And you can like, see... You he can was s- just... Yeah. yeah. You can see on the Statsbomb Twitter account, uh, Ted put up, it's just, just a, a a picture of the passes between Robertson and Alexander Arnold, and it's unreal. Like, it's unreal. Not only the fullbacks connecting like in the attacking third around the box, but up and down the entirety of the field. It's amazing. Um, yeah, Allison played thirteen passes of twenty-five
0: yards or longer and completed seven of them. Like. The what's, goalkeeper, who's just, like, kicking it long. He's doing that less than, what's, than what's Alexander-Arnold. They attacked through Alexander-Arnold this game, like, to a degree that is unusual for Liverpool. Yes.
1: What's amazing about his ability to switch play is that usually those kind of long diagonal crossfield balls give the the defense an opportunity to reset. Um because everybody can get back behind the ball everybody can shift to the other side and and he is so precise and he drives them with such pace that you like Spurs were not a good enough defensive team to be able to reset in the time it took from the ball leaving Alexander Arnold's foot to Andy Robertson getting it and driving forward um now as the expected goals total show this didn't End up quite coming off in tons of good chances for for Liverpool, which I think is interesting in and of itself.
0: Right uh, of, of Liverpool's twenty two shots, um, only eight were from inside the box and taken with feet. Like a ton of their shots are from outside the box, and a ton of their shots are headers, off and of including the,
1: including uh, sort of, of visually, including some of their visually their best chances. Right there's the mm-hmm. the Van Dyke chance on the set piece. There's the Firmino chance off a cross you know, Far Post, um, those are the two that immediately popped to mind. What to make of all of this, then, when you end up with the roughly equal expected goals from a game that for a large chunk was one-sided is, I think, really interesting. Like, right. How do we wrestle with, with, the, with these two concepts? Right, because one thing that I think... I think I think the the the
0: most important the the key thing that I think I can say pretty confidently here is that the way that stats bombs XG with like using the density of of the players were between the shooter and the goal, and the way that that confirms the 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 non stats bomb XG shows how good Tottenham's defending in the penalty area was. Yeah, I. I the the thing, the thing that we have confirmed is that Liverpool were not able to get one on one with Gazaniga.
1: Yes. Now, here's the, here here's here would be the the counterpoint to that and the question and I think I agree with where you come down on it, but I think it's the question that we need to answer because we have a number of these headed chances in the box that are that are that end up being challenging saves for Gazaniga. Are we saying these were just great finishes from Liverpool that didn't quite come off? Or were these chances, were these headed chances somewhat better than XG picks up for whatever reason? Even with having even with having the defenders there, right? Um I I, I think that it's just a couple of real good opportunities, but I think it's worth considering maybe Liverpool found an extra, you know half meter of space an extra couple of inches of lift in a jump an extra something that made those chances better than XG picked up
0: the thing that's funny to me is like the only chance that i feel that way about is Mane's chance that he misses mhm but like that's the one where Mane does manage to break off the back of sanchez just a little bit yeah and 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 really does get free and then just mishits the ball. Like the Van Dyken and Firmino chances, like the bodies are there. Like those are not easy. Like, they just their put, body shape just is not clear. On it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, the, I, I, I do think that that's, that's right. Um, But I think that that's always like always the question in those moments to consider is, 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 is the fact that visually those chances look real good a matter of, Good finishes on correctly valued XG or chances that are better than XG represents.
0: Um, Yeah. Uh, They they also put, like, several good strikes on the ball from wide in the box. Yes, they
1: did. Um, And, again, that's something that Salah can kind of do pretty, pretty consistently. But what you see is why those chances are so low XG, because you can put pretty good strikes on them from those positions, and it's still relatively unlikely to become a goal. Right. Right. And then, and then on on the... So,
0: the thing I feel reasonably confident in is, like, XG's got... And, and, I, and I think that the, the other important thing here is that one thing we, we talked about is how Liverpool attacking through their fullbacks, I think they attack through their fullbacks very well. Yeah. I think that Robertson and Alexander, it wasn't a game... Like, there, I, I've seen games where Liverpool had to attack through their fullbacks, and they became, as we've talked about all,
1: many times, United match. grindy. The United match is, is a I think, yeah. a perfect example of that. But, like, the difference is, is that in the United match, they had, like, 12 shots. Right. It, 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 this, this is the thing.
0: They did not end up camped out in United's final third. Right. United were able to prevent the ball from getting that deep. They were able to get on the ball. United had possession of the ball. For much, much larger stretches of that match. Um I mean, Spurs get possession in the last like 30 minutes, but those that, that dead zone, there was there was very few times in the game where, where Liverpool were dominating dominating space yep. in the way that they did against Spurs. Right. Um
1: and And like to me, that's I mean, a lot of that is down to Ericsson not being good enough on that flank against Andy Robertson. Just is not. Um and, and, you know, Mane pinches yep. into the box and and uh, Aurier understandably goes with him. Look, that's that's the game plan. And that leaves Ericsson and Robertson isolated out there. And it was just so easy for Liverpool to keep getting forward, to put the ball there and keep getting forward. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I, I do
0: think that like a really big part of this, though, is that is Spurs inability to keep the ball when they want it. That Keep that, that this yeah. team had no capacity to beat a press, so all they could do was the long balls to Son and Kane. Yeah, I mean, I I, I do think that that's, but I, and, and, and you know, but but so so Liverpool attacked. What, what, what the way I would describe the, the way this came out is that Liverpool attacked very well, and then in the penalty area, Spurs defended very well. I think that that Toby Aldevereld was consistently in the right positions over and over and over again. Sanchez
1: quietly has a good game. Yep. Yeah, and and, and uh, I think that that's right. But why couldn't Spurs have more of the ball?
0: I mean, because Winks and Sissoko aren't a midfield. Yeah, but and look Rose at United's mid, look or, at
1: look at United's midfield. Like United are playing Fred and McTominay. I would definitely take. I mean, I mean, Fred Fred can do some things. Yeah, but so United can do the Alley in possession. And they, they they were also playing a back three. That's th- that's a good point. That's actually a really good point. Well, sort of. They, they, they were able
0: to get the ball and pass it around uh, uh, around the back and get the get the get the wing backs pushed up. Spurs were depending on Oier and Rose passing from deep
1: positions, which neither of them is good at. Yeah, but I mean, like. It is not immediately clear to me when you put those two lineups of United and Spurs next to each other that United obviously should be able to keep the ball against Liverpool and Spurs obviously should not. Yeah. And I'll take it I'll take it even a step backwards, which is to say it is definitely not clear to me given the players that each side has at their disposal. That Spurs should end up in a position where they cannot keep the ball even for short stretches against Liverpool, while United end up in a situation where they can.
0: Yeah, and, and, and like, I mean, I think I think to some degree, like Liverpool just did press well, but we, I, I think, and that, also, like, I mean, Winx and since be- Sissoko exacerbate each other in a way that is it is.
1: It's also true that Liverpool didn't have Salah against United, which, again, makes the the decisions on that flank easier. Yeah, but like Winks and Sissoko really like
0: bring to the fore each other's weakness (laughs) because Winks can only pass
1: sideways, but he can't pass to Sissoko. Yeah, (laughs) it's not wrong. So here's here's a question that I have about, about Spurs lineup. What just happens if you switch Erickson and Deli Ali on the field? Yeah, I, I,
0: I, I mean, Deli defending a flank is somewhat new, but he's better at defending, and he seems to be trying harder this season. Um, and it's not like they were desperately in need of. I think that would have been better. I'm not sure if it... I, I, the, main th- the main thing that you get from that, the main thing that Spurs needed was a third outlet. Yeah. And I think... I that, think like when you're kicking it long, that you're not always just kicking it for
1: Kane to head on to Son. I, that got way too easy for Liverpool. I defend. will say that a front attacking trio, and this is what, by the way, Spurs did against Liverpool in the Champions League final. An attacking trio of Son, Kane, and Eriksson To combine on a counterattack makes sense in theory. Mm -hmm. But if Ericsson is tracking, is also tracking all the way back into his own box frequently as he was, you don't ever get that attacking trio together. And, And that ends up being the main issue for me. Like if you can get Ericsson as an out a receiving outlet, okay, maybe we got something here. And you can go with those three. And as you look in the last half hour, when all of a sudden, you know, Spurs attack starts flowing, it's because they have a third player forward, mostly in Ali, and then Lucas comes on and and you know, and also Indomble and Ndombele is playing passes in midfield, and everything kinda works. Um, but I guess that leads to the next question, which is how much do we really believe in Spurs attacking number, which is the other half of the equation of having roughly equal XG at the end of this match?
0: Right and, and and like you know, it's like a 0.5 xg chance for Kane in my system. I, th- I, th- I think I think it's, it's huge. Similar, in, yeah,
1: it's huge in ours as well because we have the net being open and all that jazz.
0: Yeah, it's it's a, it's, a, it's an open net header and like and like it, because it's off a rebound. It's not assisted. It's off a rebound. But like it's 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 like a it's it's I think it's better than a one in two chance in reality. But that's the number that my system comes up with. Yep.
1: Um. And so. But man, there's a lot of good fortune there. But but man, that's that is a fluky chance to occur.
0: Exactly, that's what I mean. It's, it's yeah. it, 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 there is just a lot of good fortune that the ball bounces that way, right? And it's not like it's it's not like you know one of those things where like you make your own luck. You're taking lots of shots. One of them bounces the right way. They take like what? Right. It's their second shot, shot. The first
1: one being the one that bounced the right way. Yeah. Um. And, I, I, and so I think. I was going to say, I, but I do think that that is distinctly different from Spurs' other big chance, which, while also sort of lightning quick and and fluky in that way, where it goes directly from a keeper to a player behind the defense, is a result of what both teams are doing. Right, because like Sun is able,
0: to – Sun is hitting that space in the channels, which is where you attack from. Yep. Because they if your full, if your fullbacks have to be your primary playmakers, and one of them's <laughs> got to be one of your forwards. You know they're not going to be able to defend the channels, and you either have to drop your 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 center backs really deep, which they're not doing all the time. Henderson actually played like mostly on the right wing in this game, yeah, in in, in an attempt to handle this. But like this is one of the moments where it broke down, mm-hmm, except for when and he got forward and scored the goal, which exactly. Which I, I would I would
1: say those two things are not unrelated, right? Yep.
0: I mean, this, this is in the second half as they are pushing to. Um, as 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 Liverpool is really selling out, getting their midfielders into the penalty area, even though these guys are not goal scorers, because that's the only because because they've got Spurs pushed in so deep, they can like try to do this.
1: Yes. Yes. So, like to me, I look at this and I think the way I described it on Twitter is that this was a match where Spurs wrung every ounce of xG out of the run of play that they could. And Mm -hmm. Liverpool seemed to me to leave a bunch on the table. Now, we can talk about Spurs – crediting Spurs' defense for what Liverpool left on the table. And I think it's – and I think that's a a totally fair discussion to have. Although, at the same time, when you give up 21 shots, you you sort of expect at some point something's going to sneak its way through perhaps, even if they're just of average to below average quality. Which did right, which is exactly what happened. Right, that's. I mean, which is right, what happens. So, yeah, I, I, I just, I don't walk away from that as a Spurs fan thinking that was a good match. We played well. Where this is a, indicative of us being on the right track. Well, it depends what your baseline is. I mean, I suppose. Like, 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 if you
0: compare this to Spurs, the team that is currently 13th in expected goals difference in the Premier League, and they were worse than Liverpool at Anfield, but not that much worse. Like, th- that is a, that this is a performance by a team that, like, you're disappointed in because you want them to be in the top four race. They've been playing awful. They got beat by Watford. They got embarrassed by Brighton. Like this was much, much, much
1: better than that. Yeah, I mean it's, it's it's definitely better than Brighton and Watford. I I will credit it that for sure. But like, take away that Kane chance, and this is not a competitive match. Now, now, obviously the the rhythms of the match at that point change, and we don't really know what Spurs look like for longer on equal footing. But I have... So what I really have a hard time with here is that half-hour or 25-minute period between goal number one and when Liverpool begin to actually ratchet up the pressure. Because if we say that that period is down to good Spurs defending then I think you can make a case that, okay, this is, this, is, this is a creditable Spurs performance. It's not one you'd expect them to win with, despite what the XG says. They were somewhat worse than Liverpool. But it's creditable. It, 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 it's, it's, as you say, clearly a step in the right direction from how bad they have been but if we look at that 20 minute stretch that 25 minute stretch and say actually most of that was just liverpool being off of their game before they before it really kicked in well then what we're we're not actually saying that the the, the longest chunk of good spurs performance that the, that that solid defensive stretch there was about them and if that stretch is not about them then you're really looking at very small positives from this match. Um, right? Then you're looking at then then you're really straining to look at, okay, what did Spurs do well? Um and I guess the answer is after that, even though they started giving up a bunch of shots, they weren't really good shots, and they defended well in the box, and you have all this stuff, and that's all fine and good. But pair that with that 25-minute stretch, and it's a fine defensive performance. But if you want to credit l- If if you want to demerit Liverpool for taking so long to really get into applying pressure, rather than credit Spurs, then I have trouble finding something to hang my hat on, in terms of what Spurs did well.
0: I mean, so I I I think Spurs were better than you said. Um, (laughs) I I I God only knows where I get these ideas, but I think that the, the the two things I would point to are the fact that Alexander Arnold was amazing. Like Alexander Arnold is a very very good passer of the ball. This was a great game by him, and they depended on him to play those balls. They they needed to play long passes on a dime to get into shooting positions against Spurs' defense when they were packed in. So like I think that you, if you I I think that I would credit the quality of the play by Liverpool's attack. in it it, it, it would be one part of this, and then the other part of this would be that, um so so that's one part of it. And, th- and then the other part is that, like, Spurs were absolutely pressed out of this game like crazy playing Winks and Sosoko in midfield. Like, this is now going back to the story of Tottenham's season that we told when we were talking to, to Usted about how, like, things are going to be okay when they're not playing players that aren't very good and you know they suddenly looked a lot better when they had someone in midfield who could pass that's, so that's again, certainly this true is not saying that this is a really really strong spurs performance it's i think i think that it's clear to me that um you know you 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 have to diminish how much xg you're giving to the kane chance spurs attack is, is limited in what it creates. Spurs had to defend they were, very, I mean,
1: are, you are right that their attack was really okay in the last half hour after they went down a goal. Yeah. It really was. The, and, and so I feel like – like I think the, the, the positive
0: spin on this for Spurs fans is it's like being back in the first four or five games of the season when the story is that this team will probably – not certainly, maybe things will all go wrong, but it looked like a team that will probably be better when they've got better players in the field, like Loselso and Ndombele, rather than a team that is in meltdown because they hate their coach.
1: Yeah, the, the only place I would push back against this is that when you say that Trent Alexander-Arnold had a really good game, a big part of having a really good game was that he kept picking on Ericsson, who was playing yeah. poorly in a role that he is ill-suited for. Yes, and... If we're making the argument that Spurs are going to be okay, maybe the argument is basically... Well, maybe it's that, well, actually, that should have been Lamella, not Eriksson if Lamella doesn't get hurt. But again, it's Lamella. He always <laughs> gets hurt. Um, right. Maybe the argument is, is that not a lot of people can take advantage of Eriksson in that way, which is true. But you were starting him in a role where one player could. So... I think it seems to me that while it is true that you can take from this match that when Spurs have their best players on the field, they will be a pretty good team. What is also true is that the case for what their best players are is much narrower. Mm-hmm. Um the hope at the beginning of the season was Ericsson, having stayed, was going to be just a flat-out contributor. It doesn't really look that way. And maybe, maybe the Liverpool match isn't really his fault, but on balance of evidence of the season, you're less inclined to shrug that off as him being in the wrong system for him, ill-suited, having a bad match, whatever, and more exactly. systemically, Ericsson is out the door. Uh, exactly the, the the the
0: the the big downgrade from what you think this Tottenham team is, uh, when the season starts is that part of the the, the a big part of the positive case is they've got one more year of Christian Eriksen, right, and and, and yeah. you know if you 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 can't re, like you're every, you know, we're talking about a team that is like again like I think I've got them thirteenth in expected goal difference in the Premier League like. It, it, where, where you set your like, if you're setting your baseline anywhere near where we reasonably set it in the in preseason at third, like this is incredibly disappointing. The question is like, how far above thirteenth do you set your baseline right
1: now? Yeah, like you could look, <laughs> look, you could look at that performance and say, yeah, I see an average Premier League team there. Um. That doesn't seem great to me, but yes, you can certainly do that, and 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 sure, maybe that's a stuff above average. Like, like I mean, like you know, seventh. That would be a big upgrade. (laughs) Yeah, that's that. That is true. Um. Anyway, I just like on the whole, I think that was a really, I thought it was a really interesting match with a lot of stuff to talk about. Yep. So. All
0: right. All right. Well, that is. uh... One soccer game
1: <laughs> and a half. Wow. We talked about Chelsea and Burnley. We got it in there. Ah, <laughs> uh, so anything you've been doing that uh, isn't soccer? Not a whole heck of a lot. I went to a pumpkin patch. Have I talked about going to the pumpkin patch with the girls? This was fun cause mm. it was there's the older one's first time, like we go every year. But it's the older one's first time, oldest one's first time where like she's aware of what she's doing. And she's like, I want to do this. I want to do that. Where are the pumpkins? Can I have this pumpkin? Can I have that pumpkin? I want to carry the pumpkins. Um, so that was that was a lot of fun. Um, and, she, you know, there's a little playground or whatever where she can go do flips and loops and jumps and stuff. And we could all bring back our pumpkins, which she has now painted and decorated to put out in the hallway. Um she has her, her Wonder Woman costume, which she's thrilled with. Um, oh, that's the other Halloween thing we did. Air and Space Museum in Washington, D.C. has, has like a Halloween event where you get up, you, get, you all get dressed up, and you go. And we went with a friend of hers, um, and the two of them ran around like maniacs and got candy. And then, you know, those inflatable T Rex costumes with the, the, the head? I have seen a lot of them. Yes. The, the meme. There were, because it is a meme. A number of those at the Air and Space Museum. Worn by children. Mostly like teens, 11, 12 year olds. My daughter is petrified of them. Like (laughs) screaming, jumping into my arms, petrified of these dinosaurs. I don't know why. I don't know what it is about the dinosaurs, like these dinosaurs specifically. But she is like scared out of her skull about them. So, like, we just had this really delightful afternoon punctuated by, like, I don't know, half a dozen times of her turning and booking it and jumping into my arms and hiding her head (laughs) and saying, why are there so many dinosaurs, Daddy? And my my explanation of, well, honey, they're a meme, didn't really seem to connect. So that's what I've been doing.
0: Yeah, so so we went to uh, to Rocky Mountain National Park um, which I recommend. I, I saw all your pictures. It looked delightful and snowy. Yeah no I mean I, I, I would I would definitely like say that you know the massive national parks in this country that like were dis- were like picked in like the 20 20- early 20th century, the 19th century because they're like so beautiful everyone wants to go there are like so beautiful and everyone wants to go there. It's great. We, we took to a couple of hikes. One thing that's fun: the son is um, he's he's very much like, "Hey, we're gonna go. We're gonna do a summit hike. Do you know, what a summit hike is a summit hike, is where you get to the top of a mountain. And we're gonna do that as a family. He's like, yes, we're gonna do that as a family. Like, five year olds are great that way. So you know, you just present something as like exciting and new, and what we do as a family, and then like he's all on board with it. And so, um. Did a hike, did, got him to do like two like really pretty significant ice one was like a six-mile hike, which um and, and so the other one was like in the snow, and he's like working through the snow, and we see a lot of families, like we saw like a lot of like hikers going by us, and, like tough little guy. And it can't tell to what degree they're like impressed with our son and to what degree they're like horrified by our parenting. <laughs> um, but it got to the top of like a ten thousand foot uh, uh, peak, which which was cool, and the it's like fall, so which is why there was snow, but it means that like a, the, the like charismatic megafauna are like all trying to like stock up enough food. So we saw a whole bunch of like deer and elk grazing on the on on the side of the on the side of the mountain, which was really fun. And then you get pictures where you're like, oh my god, there's an elk like right there. You get a picture like for just for a second. Get a picture of the kid with the elk in the background. and keep moving along, and then you look at the photo. Um, you know, a, 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 an hour later, back 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 at the hotel, and there's like a vaguely elk elk shaped blob. <laughs> and so we had to like circle it and write elk next to it when we, we sent it off to people. And, and it's just was. It's so striking to be like r- riding, or walking in national parks and driving around national parks. So the main thing what you're doing when you're driving around other than trying to get somewhere. But the main thing you're doing ahead of that is trying to see charismatic megafauna. And our brains and eyes are so incredibly good at that that you cannot take a picture that captures how clearly you see an elk on a hillside. We, We like evolved a capacity for seeing those animals that is way beyond what it actually looks like in the various ways that like light in, I, I, intersects with your eyes anyway i thought that was
1: interesting nature it's cool mm-hmm. alright i recommend it and on Thanks. that note so, uh, back on the subscription side talking bundesliga talking bundesliga Join us. All right. Cheers, y'all. Cheers.